here tonight. Sorry. You'll just have to deal with me. It'll be all right. Again, it's good to see everybody tonight. Jason leaned over uh, at the start of worship and said, we've got the dirtiest piano player. <laughs> Poor Noah came straight from work, didn't have a chance to shower, but Praise the Lord, he don't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. He doesn't look at the outside. He looks at our heart. Tonight, if you have your word, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark. Uh, if you haven't been in here in a while, or maybe this is your first Wednesday night, we have been going through the book of Mark, um, I'm thinking for seven or eight months now, and we are finally at chapter 11, and... Uh, I don't know how much longer it's going to take us to get through chapter 16, but we'll just see. Um, but it's been good. I enjoy teaching uh, the Word of God, breaking it down so that we all walk away with something. That's my goal, um, and I believe that's the heart of the Lord, that we not just speedily you know, go through the Word and not get anything, but that we read it to understand it. We read with understanding, and, and I want to encourage you and, and to make a habit of this, that every time you open the Word of God, that you ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of your understanding, because this Word is powerful. This Word is living. Uh, it, that's what the Word tells us that it is. And if we will ask the Holy Spirit to give us understanding, to enlighten our eyes, there's there will not be a time that that you read the Word and go away with nothing. You will always gain something when you read the Word. Amen? So if you're there in Mark chapter 11, say amen. And let's go ahead and start reading verses 1 through 11. And when they came near to Jerusalem, unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples and said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why you this? Say you that the Lord has need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. And they loose him. And certain of them who stood there said unto them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off trees and strawed them in the way. And they who went before and they who followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Now, this is normally a portion of Scripture that we read uh, right before Easter. Uh, this is uh, the time in which uh, we read this because it's right before the crucifixion. And, uh, but I'm here to tell you tonight that God's Word is relevant 
at any time. We don't have to wait for a holiday or a special occasion for God's word to apply to our life. It always applies. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Again, just as I said uh, just moments ago, we've got to read the word with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and giving us understanding. And it doesn't matter if you're reading when Jesus was born and laid in a manger. You can read that in August, and it has power because it's the Word of God. Amen? So this portion of Scripture begins uh, what is known as Passion Week. Uh, That's what they call this portion of Scripture. And chapters 11 through 16 uh, record the final week of Jesus' life. To think that in only one week's time, cheers of Hosanna turn to cries of crucify him. It's amazing. You know, a lot can happen in a week. A lot can happen in a week, be it good or bad. But to the believer tonight, be encouraged because Sunday is coming. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. At the end of every week, the end of every trial, the end of every storm, if we hold tight to Jesus, victory is ours. Do we realize that, church? Do we understand the promise that we have in Christ Jesus? It's not a promise of defeat, but it is always continuously a promise of victory. But we have to stay in Christ Jesus in order to obtain that victory. So this text begins with Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem during the Passover. And this event was so important um, that it is recorded in all four of the Gospels. The event has been a long time coming, according to 1 Peter 1 and 20. It reads, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. What had been foreordained before the foundation of the world was laid was about to be played out before their very eyes. The atonement for sin ordained in eternity past now becomes historical for all to behold, for all to witness, for all to see. You see, up to this point in the ministry of Jesus, he had always told his men to keep quiet about his identity. You remember, we've talked about this and going through Mark, and, uh, lots of people that were healed, he would heal them and say, go your way and don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone what's happened to you, right? But here and now, there's a change. Now he begins to make himself known. He's about to present himself to the nation of Israel as their king. Do you understand what's about to take place in just one week? All that's going on, running through his mind, fulfilling another prophecy given in Zechariah 9 and 9. It reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the fowl of an ass. This was fulfilled 
years and years, hundreds of years prior to, and now it is being fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled right before their very eyes, and yet they rejected him. They didn't see him, kind of like today. Prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes, and yet people refuse to see it completely blind to it. Isaiah 5 and 20 has never been more real for me. I don't know about you than it is at this very time. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do you hear me tonight, church? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you understand that these are perilous times in which we are living. If you don't know that, you need to wake up. You need to get your head out of the sand. You need to open your eyes. Ask the Lord to open your ears, to allow your spirit to to bear witness and, and ask for discernment at what truly is going on in our world today. Well, I'm going to tell you, soon and very soon, He's coming back. Soon and very soon he's going to split the eastern sky and he's coming back for his church. That should bring great joy, great excitement, but above all, it should bring a great motivation to the church. For what? To reach as many people as we possibly can because time is nearing an end. It is. Everywhere you look, we see the signs. And it's sad to say that uh, a lot of people within the church are blind to what's taking place. They're being deceived willfully. They are entering into that time that the Lord prophesied of the great falling away. Those that were within the church. And they refused to see things for what they truly are. Uh, I know I was just talking to a gentleman, and he was uh, voicing his uh, concern about his church and how they are so strict on protocol and things like that during this, this time to the point that he's, he don't even want to go. He don't even want to go to church um, because they're so angry and so just ugh, about all of this. And I... I don't know why the church would ever want to put a bad taste in people's mouths and make them not even want to come to church, right? That's, that shouldn't be the church, I don't think. But church has bought in to, to man's ways instead of God's ways. Man's ways never work. Man's ways never will. We see this over and over again in the Scripture. So we've got to be uh, being led By the Spirit of the Lord, we see pastors afraid to declare, thus saith the Lord, in order to gain man's approval. Right? You know, today and today's, especially with our young people, it's all about how many likes and how many followers. We all like to have a lot of likes and hearts and comments on our posts. But I'm going to tell you, we've got to get to that place to where it doesn't matter if God be for me, who can be against me? And if I'm following the Lord, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. We've got to get back to preaching the word and the word alone. We've got to get into our word on our own. 
and not just expect somebody to, to give it to us. Because his word is the only thing that's going to last. His word is the only thing that's going to see us through until the end. I truly believe in my heart that the Lord is raising up that remnant of people, those who are not afraid to count the cost and take a stand in these last days to boldly proclaim, prepare ye the way for the Lord. Prepare ye the way for the Lord draweth nigh. He's coming back. And what are we doing with this great salvation that we have? Are we taking it to people or are we holding it all to ourselves? You know, we're going to be judged for what we do with Jesus, for what we do with the salvation that we have. There's going to be times where when we're standing there before the Lord and opportunities that we miss when we could have shared, but we didn't. Church, we've got to be about his business. We've got to let our pride fall by the wayside that he would be glorified, that his name would be made great. Amen? So here we see Jesus and the disciples as they draw near to Jerusalem. They came to Bethpage, known as the house of unripe figs, uh, near Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And Bethany was the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, right? Jesus, where he uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, And it'll be the place where Jesus stays the final week of his life. He was among friends. He was among family, right? His closest friends. And then the word goes on to say that Jesus asked two disciples, probably Peter and John. It doesn't say that, but just tradition says that it was probably Peter uh, and John to go to the village and tell them that they would find a colt tied there, which Uh, No man has ever sat on to untie it and bring him. How did he know all of this? Well, we can't fail to to remember that, yes, he was 100% man, but he was 100% God. He knows all things from the end to the beginning. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to take place. And then uh, in verse 3, he gives them more instructions. And we can't miss the importance of, the, the, the tone of this straightway could be translated immediately. And he uses this word a lot. Uh, he uses the word immediately a lot, the repetition of it, because it's of great importance that this be done. And the disciples, I'm sure, didn't understand, well, why am I going to get a coat for Jesus to ride on? He's walked everywhere. He's never done this before. If he wasn't walking, he was in a boat. So this is the first time that Jesus is going to ride on an animal. And I'm sure they're just thinking, what is he doing now? What is he trying to to teach us now? They had no idea, right? And then also, it's the first time he uses this word, and he uses it in power. He says, tell them it's the Lord who has need of it. The Lord, see, he's making a statement of authority and power in this situation, not just a king, but he's letting them know, I'm the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. And if they ask you, you tell them, the Lord has need of it. Those words jumped out at me when I was preparing for this, that the Lord has need of it. 
just like he has need of you and me. He has a need for you and me. Think of it like this. In all his sovereignty and grace, God has given me and you the privilege of being used to tell other people about the Lord. See, the Lord, the creator of it all, has commissioned us to go and tell the world about him. What an honor that we have. I mean, really, when did God ever need anything? But that's the paradox of his life, right? That's, that's what the Lord's earthly life was about. He was rich, yet he became poor for you and for me. He owned all things, yet he possessed nothing. He created the stars, yet he had no place to lay his head. He fashioned everything there is out of nothing, yet he had to borrow a boat from which to preach the gospel from. He created every drop of water that exits in this world. But yet he cried, I thirst, as he was dying on the cross. He created every tree, but he died on a borrowed cross. He created every rock, but he had to borrow a tomb in which to be buried. He used the clouds as his chariots, yet he had to borrow a donkey on which to ride. That's the paradox of his life. He was rich, yet he made himself poor so that those who believe on him might enjoy his riches. His life was lived for our hearts. His life was lived for you and for me. His life was never lived, uh, it was never about his pleasure, but it was all with you and me in mind. I mean, we can't wrap our minds around that. We truly can't. We hear it and we think, wow. But to truly understand how he lived his life, all that he gave up for you and for me, and I love how our lives kind of correlate with the donkey. Some people might not like to be compared to the donkey, but we really are. <laughs> Right? See, the donkey had to be redeemed. The Lord sent for it. He drawed the donkey. Uh, it was the drawing of the Lord. The donkey was alive and useful to the Lord because he had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Praise God. That's why I have life today. That's the only reason you and I have any usefulness to the Lord today because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. He sends us out now to go to the lost. You see, he came looking for me. You know the song, and I wish I could sing, but he came looking for me just as he sent out his disciples to go get the colt, to go get the donkey. He desires to send us out to go find that one lost lamb, to go find that one, and to do what? To bring him to Jesus. He sends us out not to present a program, not to give a list of rules or regulations, but for one purpose, to bring them to Jesus. That's, that's simple. That's what we're to do over and over and over again. That's called planting and watering. Planting and watering. We find a donkey. We bring it to Jesus. 
We find someone. We bring them to the Lord. You see, it goes a little further in comparing us because the donkey had to be loosed. It had to be released. See, it was bound and had to be set free before the Lord could use it, before you and I can be of any use to Him. The chains of our sins are going to have to be broken and we're going to have to be set free. That's what He does for us. That's what He does for His children. At the moment of salvation, instantly, we are saved. We are sanctified. We are justified. Now, it's an ongoing process. That's a, a present tense uh, verb, right? <laughs> my English is uh, terms. Where's my teachers? I'm looking at some teachers out here. But it's ongoing. I got saved then, but I am saved today, and I'm going to be saved tomorrow. I was sanctified, but it's a progressive sanctification that's being played out in my life each and every day. How does that happen? Because when I hold myself up, to God's holy word, I see where I, I need work. Right? I see where I need that sanctifying blood to flow over me, to cleanse me, to make me more like him. So that's what he does. That's what he did to the donkey. Don't think that it was just for good writing to talk about the donkey being tied and then you had to loose it. No, it's a picture of what the Lord does for us, what he did for us over 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross when he uttered the words, it is finished. It was finished. It was a done work. Every sin, past, present, and future has been atoned for. Those chains have been broken in our lives and we've just got to let go and go to Jesus. We've got to realize in whom we have believed. You see, then it goes on that the donkey had to be ruled. Someone had to take charge over the donkey. Verse 2 tells us that it had never been ridden. So it hadn't been broken to ride. And I don't know if you've ever ridden a horse before that hadn't been ridden many times. That could be a wild ride. Uh, I've ridden a horse a couple times in my life, and I can honestly say that none of them have been good. <laughs> They've been eventful. But, and I want to do it again. I'm just waiting for that right horse. And I, I, I would, if I had my way, it's going to be when I come back with the Lord, riding on that horse. Amen? That's going to be a good one. What is it, Brother Dale? Uh, how do you say his last name? Usury from, uh, you say, however you say it, in Baton Rouge. He's a little man. You know him. You've seen him on SB, and he always says he's going to be on a miniature horse. <laughs> a Shetland pony. <laughs> That's what he says. Because he's so little. But I don't care what it is. I'm going to have a good time on that horse coming back, right? But the Lord is so good, and, and he has um, that way about him. It, the donkey, even though it had never been ridden before, it submitted itself to the Lord, realizing what's in me. My nature would be to buck you off, right? Throw you off of my back. I don't know what I'm doing. That's our sin nature. 
But when we get saved and we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, we now have a new nature. It's the divine nature living inside of us. And it presses down that sin nature so that then we begin to act a totally different way. It's not that we had to be beaten or whipped or uh, whatever they do to horses, broken. But in a way we are because we come to the Lord with a broken and contrite spirit. And that way that old man, that old nature just goes away because we've given ourselves to the Lord. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done now. I'm now a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So the way I used to act like a wild bucking bull, I'm not going to act like that anymore. Why? Because now I've submitted myself to the Lord. I'm going to walk proper and right. I'm not going to throw anybody off. I've got Jesus now. See, he, he was on the donkey, but he's in us. That's a good thing to think about, right? He sat on the donkey, but once he went to Calvary's cross and ascended to heaven, now he's in us. So we don't have to act like a wild donkey. We can act like a saved child of God. Longing for the things of the Lord. See, that donkey wasn't frightened by the crowds or by the noise. It surrendered itself to the Lord totally. And that's what he expects of us. He's looking for total submission and total surrender. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't do that on your own. You can't do that on your own. If any other man had gone and tried to sit on that donkey, it would have acted like a donkey. But because... It's the Lord God Almighty. See, that's why man's ways don't work. That, that old man will all the way, always come back to life when you're trying it man's way. But when you allow the Lord to come in, you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of the God. Why? Because it's not you doing it, it's him doing it through you. That's why. That's how it makes sense. That's how it works always. See, the Lord could, have, could save sinners and accomplish his work on earth just fine without us, but he chooses to use us frail human instruments for his glory. Someone has said this. It says, this life will soon be past, and only what is done for the Lord will last. This, this life will soon be past, and only what is done for the Lord will last. See, we have to ask ourselves, we have to be real honest with ourselves, what are we doing for the Lord? Are we following his leading and guiding, proclaiming the gospel and leading people to Jesus? Because if we're not doing that, then we're not doing anything at all. We're not doing anything that's going to last, anything that's going to profit anyone, and especially ourselves. We've got to be about our Father's business in verse 6, we see instant obedience. 
again straightway immediately this tells us that they knew who Jesus was even if it was just by name only and the fame and reputation of his name had spread throughout all of Israel causing all to know about him I mean you just think back when we started the book of Mark and all of the miracles all of the healings everything that has taken place his name and reputation went before him they knew who he was and they immediately obeyed the they immediately gave they didn't even question anymore why are you untying that donkey because the Lord has need of them okay that was enough shouldn't that be enough for us shouldn't that be enough for us that if the Lord says do it okay that's enough I don't need another confirmation I don't need I don't need five more people to come up and say I feel the Lord wants you to do this no if the Lord says do it then do it obedience is better than sacrifice we've got to be a people of obedience we've got to obey the Lord so the disciples again go get the donkey they bring it back to Jesus and they begin to put their cloaks their outer garments across the back in place of, a, of the saddle and Jesus climbs onto the donkey's back and starts down the mountain and again the fact that it had never been ridden before is a miracle in itself see the king of Israel is about to present himself to the nation and as I mentioned earlier Jesus is fulfilling the ancient prophecy of Zechariah 9 9 and part of the prophecy says that the Messiah will be lowly and this is what we see here a humble man on the back of a humble beast making a humble declaration of his identity you see imagine this procession Jesus is on a donkey and he is surrounded by a multitude of just common people uh, one person called it a procession of paupers these weren't your elite these weren't the highest in society these people were waving palm branches and not swords they're sitting on old he was sitting on an old coat and not a saddle he's riding a little donkey and not a mighty stallion he's surrounded by a ragtag group of people not strong soldiers and the Roman soldiers who saw this parade probably laughed at this man who would be the king of the Jews not knowing see these Roman soldiers had seen what they viewed as true heroes of war have parades right uh, where they would have elephants and tigers and lions and and all of these animals lead them in I thought the same thing Aaron I saw you say that oh my <laughs> lions and tigers and bears oh my. right that's what they had seen and they thought that would be victorious and uh, but this little procession was just the beginning and the events that began that day and they did not even realize it would topple the Roman Empire they would bring Rome down bring them to their knees right one day this lowly king would bring Rome to its knees and and just in case you're wondering a Roman general could only have a parade if he had killed over 5,000 
enemy soldiers in battle. And to contrast this, think about that soon Jesus, King Jesus, would claim over 8,000 new believers. Whereas the world, man's way, brings death. The ways of the Lord brings life. And you can read about that in the book of Acts and how many were saved. Just in the first couple chapters, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, over 8,000 new believers would come into the kingdom of God. And when you look again at this crowd, uh, the people that were in there, I'm sure, was Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, who was blind no more. He's now seeing Bartimaeus. I'm sure Zacchaeus was there. I'm sure Lazarus was there. Mary and Martha were there. That crowd was full of people who had been healed, delivered, ministered to. They were praising him. And guess what? You and I are in that parade today. Because that parade is still going forth. It's still going on. Um, And it will until we step into eternity. We should still be praising the Lord for the great works that he has done in our life. Those who know him should still be praising his name and worshiping the one who became poor so that we could become rich in him. As the crowd then went down the Mount of Olives, the people praising the Lord, they were singing a song and and how they would sing at the front would say one line and then the back would say another line, and and they would carry that song out, and what they were singing was verses 9 and 10. They were saying, Hosanna, which really means save us now. Save us now. And uh, it's kind of like how we'll say hallelujah. It's the same thing. And, And they were singing this all the way down the way. You see, they didn't realize that Jesus definitely would save them and deliver them, but it would be from a far greater oppressor. It would be from Satan himself, not the Roman Empire. Because in their minds, they still thought that Jesus was going to ride the donkey down the hill and he was going to become the king right then and there. They didn't even realize they needed to be saved from Satan. They didn't realize they needed to be saved from their sins. This this didn't enter into their mind. They didn't think about these things. Sometimes, you know, we just want the Lord to remove things out of our lives and we fail to realize that there is a greater work that needs to be taken place. Not just him uh, calming the storm or just giving us what we ask for. But it's, Lord, change me. Change my heart. Change my mind. As we read earlier, renew a right spirit within me. Renew my mind, Lord. That's the greatest work that the Lord longs to do. He's always pursuing our hearts over and over and over again. So the people are praising the name of the king just as the psalmist predicted. We know that. Mark doesn't relate this, but the book of Luke does. Tells us that the Pharisees are now upset. Surprise, surprise that they're upset. Luke 19, uh, 39 through 41 says, And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city 
and wept over it. Here we are right in the middle of all of the praise, all of um, the cheers, the excitement that's going on, and yet we find Jesus weeping over the city. Weeping over Israel. I, I'm running out of time. He wept because he knew that within 40 years the Romans would besiege the town. He wept because he knew that over 30,000 Jews would be crucified as the legions marched towards the city. He wept because he knew that the city would hold out for months while the people, uh, by the thousands, succumbed to, to disease and starvation. He wept because he knew they would throw the bodies of the dead over the walls of Jerusalem. He wept because he knew that the Roman general Titus would see the pile of dead bodies lying outside the walls of Jerusalem and that he would lift up his hands toward heaven to call God as a witness that it was not his fault and that it did not have to be this way. See, Jesus knew that the Romans would conquer the city and that the temple and the city would be utterly demolished. He also knew that people would be scattered to the four winds of the earth he knew all these things and more, and Jesus wept over the town. I want tonight, in closing, for us to think about what the Lord sees when he looks down at us. When he looks down at what all that's going on in us, you see, we've got to get that image in our mind, people uh, shouting, dancing, and singing, they're praising God, they're excited, but Jesus is a man with a broken heart. Why? Because he knew at that moment Israel would not receive him. John 1 and 11 says he came unto his own and his own received him not. He knows they will reject him and crucify him. He knows that they are slated for judgment in the midst of all of this. That's why he's called a man of sorrows. So tonight I know that Jesus' heart is broken I know that he's weeping even now as he looks down on earth and he sees the depravity of man to such a great degree. And I know that, I mean, when you think back to the days of Noah and only his family was righteous out of all of the entire world and, and we think about today, that's why the word remnant makes sense. Because he's looking down and he's seeing so many that are lost that he knows will reject him, will never accept him. And it breaks his heart because it doesn't have to be that way. But I believe and I'm declaring tonight by the word of Almighty God that this is a house of prayer, that this is a house of the remnant, that this is... Uh, a body of believers, that our hearts too will break for the lost, that we won't be content with just us and no more. But just the thought of Jesus' heart breaking should be enough for us to go and tell others, to go and tell others that there's a better way, that there's a hope, and his name is Jesus. So what does Jesus see when he comes to our church? 
He's here tonight. He's here with us tonight. Matthew 18 and 20 tells us that for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We know he's here. But what does he see? See, he's looking at your heart. Does he see people who are looking for him or does he see people just going through the motions? Did you just come here tonight to, to check Wednesday night service off your list? Or did you come here to find Jesus? Did you come here to receive from the one and only one who can do anything for you? Because that's what he's looking for. That's what he's longing for. What does he see in your heart? Does he see his face reflected back to him? Does he see a heart filled with love for him? Does he see an earnest worshiper? Or does he see that you're lost? Does he see that you need to come home? Does he see that all is not well in your heart? What does the Lord see today? Here at Lakeside, only you can answer that. Because you know where you stand with the Lord today. You know where your relationship stands. And I'm going to tell you this, it can always be better. It can always be better. We can always get closer to Him. That should be our heart's desire each and every day, to go, grow closer to the Lord, to not be satisfied. But Lord, I want more. So tonight as we close, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if that's your desire tonight to know him more, to grow closer to him, or maybe you know there's things in your heart that just he just needs to come and deal with. He wants to do that tonight because he loves you. He has need of you. Even if you failed him today, even if you've failed him all this week, he has need of you. He's desiring to draw you. He's desiring to pour into you tonight. And you're the only one who can allow that or stop that. So tonight, Vanessa, if you'll just play something, I'm going to ask you just to respond, to take just a moment to come and allow the Lord to search your heart. He already knows it's there. He already knows what's, what's nagging at you, what, what's pulling you. It's the Holy Spirit to come, to lay it at his feet. So as the music plays, if you'll just respond.
are you thankful for that tonight? That we can just come as we are and leave changed in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you for your word that's gone forth. God, I know that it's going to continue to work, Lord, that it's not going to return void, but it's going to produce good fruit for your kingdom, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you just keep each one of us safe and that you bring us all back together at the next appointed time. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Don't forget, if you have a few minutes tonight,